You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. 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 That was three for the Statins. Good to see you this morning. Uh, if you are brand new at Redeemer, welcome. We're excited that you're here. If you are old and at Redeemer, not necessarily chronologically old, but maybe just been around Redeemer for a long time, we're so glad that you're here uh, as well. And if you have joined in the last few weeks, you're probably wondering, who in the world is this guy? Uh, it is so good to be back. The church has been so gracious to me and my family to give us uh, a bit of a sabbatical. So uh, just wanted to say, really on, on behalf of Hannah and my kids and I, thank you. Uh, thank you for some time. Uh, to be refreshed and rejuvenated, and I really feel that God has filled my tank, and I got some good naps in and some good uh, counseling, and feel like I'm in a, just a healthy place to march forward for hopefully the next uh, 20 years. Uh, we have a lot of work to do in Midland, Texas. Uh, there's a lot of people that need to hear about Jesus, that need to have uh, practical needs met, kids that need discipling, uh, marriages that need uh, restoration, people that need hope, people that need peace, people that need joy, people that need love, and so uh, we're going to keep Keep doing what we've been doing for the last six years. Uh, we're going to keep making disciples and encouraging disciples to live on mission uh, for Jesus in the city of Midland. And Lord willing, I truly hope to be here uh, for many more decades. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Pastor Chase tried to give me a, a welcome card when I came in uh, because, uh, I don't know, he hadn't seen me for a while, didn't recognize me. I trimmed my beard up, and uh, so it's, uh, it's good to have you here this morning. And if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're here uh, joining online as well. We hope that you uh, can get connected with us uh, digitally in some form or fashion. Uh, today marks the beginning of the Advent season. Anybody excited about that? Lauren is awesome. Advent, uh, really the Christmas season for us, is it's exciting on many different levels. And so we're opening up this morning uh, Advent. And the word Advent means the coming or, or, the, or the, the arrival of something. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the coming of Jesus. Uh, and Advent has been set aside really for a few centuries uh, as a church tradition. This, this is not a biblical tradition, uh, not like uh, Pentecost or, or Passover. There are things that are found in the Bible where we we are uh, called to celebrate or to remember certain things. Uh, Advent is something that is in church history. So for hundreds of years, uh, the church has set aside uh, about the first, the, the, the four weeks before we celebrate Christmas, which I know is probably not the time Jesus was actually born, but that's when we celebrate it. We set aside the four weeks to really reflect on the coming of Jesus. What does it mean that he came the first time uh, in a manger in Bethlehem? And what does it mean for us that he's coming again? Is anybody excited that Jesus is coming again? Man, I feel like y'all got some rest too, and we're so excited to be here. Uh, so uh, we talk about really four main things that are true generically for the world, but very specifically for believers in Jesus, for disciples of Christ, we talk about hope, we talk about peace, we talk about joy, and we talk about love because those are four monumental truths um, that are true because of the coming of Jesus. So today we are talking about hope. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of First Peter chapter 1. We just heard a little bit of it from the Dunn family. Uh, thank you, Dunn's, for reading for us this morning. 
Uh, and I'll get there here in just a few moments. If you're new to the Bible, uh, maybe you have it on a device, you can just search for First Peter, or uh, it's towards the end of your Bible if you have a print copy. Um, the Apostle Paul, anybody ever heard of Paul? Awesome. Man, this is just good stuff. Uh, the Apostle Paul is oftentimes known as the Apostle of Faith. Uh, he, he was Saul and he was a persecutor of, of Christians and Jesus and this Jesus movement until Jesus physically interrupted his life and his story and caused him to change teams, being uh, moving from the persecutor to the persecuted. And he would become uh, an apostle that would plant uh, churches all over the Roman Empire and would write upwards of two-thirds of the New Testament that you hold in your hands. And he would be called the Apostle of faith. Because if you set Paul down and you say, Paul, what is this all about? You have one tweet to tell us what we need to know. He would talk about faith. That's the entire uh, thesis of his biggest book, the book of Romans that we've spent a lot of uh, this past year working through. He would sit you down and say, listen, this is what it's about. Faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about works. It's not about what you do or what you need to do, but it's about what Jesus has done on your behalf in your place. So the apostle of faith, Paul, would say, put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. And that is what he is really known for, unpacking faith. Um, the apostle John, anybody heard of the apostle John? Everybody say John. John is oftentimes known as the apostle of love. Uh, he was one of the 12 disciples, personally discipled for three plus years by Jesus Christ in the flesh. Uh, and was one of the inner three that Jesus confided very special things to and, and probably was Jesus' best friend on the planet. And what he would be known for for the rest of his life and ministry would be love. If you set John down say, John, you got one tweet, just a handful of characters, what do we need to know? He would, he would harp on love. In fact, he's the only disciple that wasn't martyred uh, besides Judas who betrayed the Lord. He's the only disciple that wasn't martyred, so he would live to a very old age, and he would still be preaching uh, and talking about Jesus. Now, they tried to martyr him. They exiled him to Patmos, boiled him alive in oil. He survived uh, to go ahead and continue leading the church and preaching. And church history says when John was an old man and couldn't even hardly get around and he would be preaching in Ephesus, they would have to help him up the stage, uh, help him pass right all the all the guitar equipment and the amps, I'm sure, uh, get him underneath the lights, whatever it looked like, to get him up to the podium where he would preach. They would have to help him up. He would lean on the podium and say, children, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. You in the back, love one another. All you in the front row. God, we got almost a full front row. Miracles happen. Love one another. And he would just keep saying love one another until they thought he had lost his mind. And he, in fact, had not lost his mind. He just realized that until we see Jesus face to face, we've got some work to do with the way that we love God and love each other. Amen? So he is the apostle of love. That's what he talks about. But Peter, uh, Peter is the apostle of hope. Peter's the apostle of hope. If you sit Peter down or if you listen to the words that he wrote uh, in his letters to the church, it's dripping with hope. And so that's why we're going to land in 1 Peter chapter 1 to talk about hope. Uh, because if anyone uh, could have been hopeless uh, or cynical or jaded about life and maybe ministry, perhaps even Jesus, it probably would have been Peter. Because Peter has a very colorful story, and we like to talk about it, we like to think about it. I think in some ways uh, it's very easy for us to relate to Peter because he has some very good days. Have any of you had very good days? 
Two of you? Anybody had bad days? We can relate to Peter because Peter had ups and downs. So I wonder if there were some moments when Peter felt hopeless, felt like he was in a dead-end job, just catching fish every day. He smelled bad every day. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says, Peter, I want you to follow me, to be one of my disciples. Uh, he, he had this opportunity in his job maybe perhaps to feel like it was hopeless until Jesus shows up. I'm sure there were some seasons in life where he felt hopeless that, does Jesus even want me on his team anymore? I mean, he just called me Satan. How many if y'all remember that story. Anybody? He, he was given this moment to like join Jesus when Jesus talks about he's going to the cross and Peter jumps to the other team, uh, to the Satan team, and says, no, Jesus, don't go to the cross. That's not going to happen to you. And so Peter looks, uh, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about the things of God. I'm sure he could have been very uh, hurt, jaded, and felt hopeless uh, until Jesus shows up and brings him back into the fold, back into the ministry. Do you think you would have felt hopeless as a Christian if your leader was executed? So Jesus is witnessing the, the, the execution of Jesus, and I'm sure there was an opportunity for him to feel unbelievably hopeless until Jesus rises from the dead, gets up from the grave, marches out, and then Peter all of a sudden realizes that his hope is still alive. Uh, I'm sure there was some uh, potential hopelessness in Peter's heart uh, when he, in the moment that Jesus needed him the most, the night that he was betrayed and, and executed by crucifixion, Y'all know the story. When they show up and they ask Peter, are you with him? He's like, I don't know who that guy is. I don't, I, I'm not associated with him. And in, his, in the moment when Jesus needed Peter the most, Peter was an absolute coward and abandoned him. That could cause someone to have some real issues with hopelessness, and yet the resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Peter because when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter's hope rose with him. I don't think there was ever a day for the rest of Peter's life when Peter felt hopeless because his hope was not in a situation or an economy or in a political leader, but his hope was in Jesus who had just risen from the dead. So Peter, in what we just listened to uh, from 1 Peter, talks about our hope as living hope. Because if your hope is tethered to Jesus and Jesus is alive, then your hope is alive with it. So Peter would be the apostle of hope. In suffering, he was never hopeless. In persecution, he was never hopeless. When he was betrayed by friends, he was never hopeless. When he was alone, he was never hopeless because his hope was in Christ. And when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter's hope rose with it. Let's read it again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is Peter with the colorful resume, the colorful past, lots of opportunity perhaps to feel hopeless if it weren't for the resurrection. But this is what he's talking about to a church full of people that were trying their best to live on mission for Christ in the world. And he said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, this great, full, robust mercy of God. He's done something for us in Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us. He has set something in motion. He has been the great cause for something. He has caused us 
to be born again. And who is the us? Peter's talking not to everyone, not to everyone in the world, not to everyone who would read this letter. He's talking to Christians who had uh, confessed their sin and their need to Jesus, that they were in fact sinners. He was in fact a Savior. They needed Him. They responded in repentance and faith, invited Jesus to forgive them and save them once and for all. And so if that's you, this is your story. This is what it says of you. He's caused us to be born again. You get a brand new start, a fresh beginning. What does Peter think that Christians are born into? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And if you are one that circles words in your Bible, I would highly recommend you circle those two words, living hope. We have inherited, by the work of Christ, a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter never got over the resurrection. It changed his life, and not just the way he viewed eternity. He he viewed eternity with hope. He he believed that there's an afterlife, that each one of us are going to die. Our bodies are going to fail. We will be put in a grave, and we need to decide what our hope is placed in for the afterlife. And so Peter, because he saw Jesus, that was settled for him. He was full of hope for him in the afterlife. And I think sometimes people uh, in the Bible Belt especially... Because I get this question often um, with, with people that are kind of thinking about Christianity, looking into it, wouldn't really uh, call themselves Christians. Uh, and oftentimes the question is, does the Bible, like does, does, does God and, and Jesus and this whole Christianity thing, does it have anything to do with my life at, at work, my life with my family, my life with my friends, or is it all about preparing for the afterlife? Uh, And I think if you look through the New Testament and Jesus' words, you're going to find out that he has a lot to say about this life. It is not just about hope for the resurrection, although that's unbelievably important. It's about the hope that we carry with us that changes the way we walk through life. So Peter was never hopeless about eternity. Uh, Peter was never hopeless about the situation that he was in daily. We have a living hope. And I want to present before you today on this opening of Advent, talking about hope, um, that hope desperately matters. Uh, Hope desperately, it, it matters in your life and in your heart. Not just if you have hope, but the object of your hope, where we decide to put our hope. And oftentimes, to, to understand certain concepts, uh, it's, it's better to understand them by virtue of their opposite. So if we talk about love, sometimes if we just frame love in this way, we think, well, what's the opposite of love? And if we think about it just simply as hate, uh, then sometimes we can think, well, I, just, I, I, I'm not, I don't hate anyone, so I must be just crushing it at this love thing, right? But if you frame it a different way, and if you look at agape love in the Bible that really means a a selfless love, then the opposite of that is selfishness. And doesn't that frame love a little bit different for us? If we think, well, I don't hate a bunch of people, maybe a handful that cut me off in traffic this morning on the way to church, right? Uh, But but if you say, okay, well, the opposite of of true gospel love is selfishness. Do you have any moments in your life when you're selfish? We would all say, I don't, but my neighbor does, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, if we're honest, if you frame it that way, like, oh, that puts a little bit of a different spin on love. Uh, I think hope is the same way because there's kind of two opposites of hope that I want to tease both of these out for a moment. 
Uh, the first one, if you don't have hope, you are hopeless. Some of you, you're like, did not have to come to church <laughs> to learn that. Seems very simple. But truly, if you don't have hope in something, then you're hopeless. And hopelessness is a, a desperately sad situation. It, it's, 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 it's when marriages die. Marriages don't die because you fall out of love. Marriages die because you lose hope that it will work out. Uh, if you lose hope and you're hopeless, that's when uh, parents give up on children. That's when children give up on parents. That's when bosses give up on employees and employees give up on their bosses. That's when uh, prayer turns to anxiety. Uh, that's when community turns to isolation and loneliness. Most of the things that trip in our lives that cause us uh, to go down a dark path have to do with hopelessness, losing hope that things can get better, that things can change. And we know that the, like, the, the very end of that road of hopelessness could even lead to a, a decision between life and death. For the most part, that's what causes suicide in our country when somebody feels just an absolute deep and dark sense of hopelessness. They have given up hope and therefore given up the will to live. Hope is incredibly important. I, I read this book years ago by Viktor Frankl. He was a Jewish uh, ki- uh, prisoner in uh, Auschwitz, I believe, in Germany during World War II, uh, and he talked about, he, he survived uh, his, his experience in a prison camp, and he talked about the difference for most prisoners in life and death was not their health when they entered the camp, uh, it was not their physical strength, he said the difference between life and death was hope. He said, when a prisoner gave up the hope that they would get out, he could see it in their eyes, and it was just a matter of time because hope is unbelievably important. Dale Archer, I read this not too long ago. Uh, He's a medical doctor, and he said this. He dealt with a lot of people that were dealing with, uh, with depression and with suicidal thoughts, and he said, if I could dispense hope in pill form, it would be the most powerful antidepressant. Hope matters, and if we don't have hope, then the opposite of that is hopelessness. And so maybe some of you are in that situation today. Maybe that's the season of life that you're in with a, with a job or with something going on in your own soul or with your marriage or your kids, and you're just feeling in this, this sense of absolute hopelessness. Then, then the gospel message is for you. The, the idea and the truth and the reality of hope is for you, but maybe you don't feel like that. And so I want to present the opposite of hope in a, in, a, in a different way that I think most of us can probably jive with in one form or fashion. Uh, if you don't have hope, you're hopeless. Number two, if you don't have hope, we tend to be cynical. Anybody ever been cynical? Cynical, like kind of where you, you feel like uh, you're always anticipating the worst outcome. Uh, you really give up and you just kind of lose hope. And I think sometimes in the culture that we live in, um, cynicism is kind of the spirit of the age. Right? We just, it's very easy to become cynical people. And this is how it happens. Uh, if you're hurt by someone, maybe you, you, you lay yourself out there in a relationship and you're hurt by them, then you expect everyone else to do that and you lose hope in relationships and so you quit even trying. You become cynical and cynical is the opposite then of hope. Uh, maybe you're betrayed by someone you love. They should have done something uh, different. They should have loved you. They should have been there, but they were not. You felt betrayed. And so instead of hope for that to change in the future, we become cynical and begin to guard ourselves. 
Uh, I think many people uh, set out in life as a Christian to serve people. But over time, you can become very cynical if you serve and it's never reciprocated, if you feel like it's not making a difference. And so you give up hope that serving even matters and you just go back to your life uh, as it was. Uh, maybe just uh, this tendency to quit loving because you've been hurt and it hasn't been reciprocated. And we, instead of becoming hopeful, uh, we become cynical. Maybe nobody showed up to something that was special and meaningful to you. You planned something, you hoped they would show up, and they didn't, and you become cynical rather than hopeful. Maybe you've been praying for a long time, you're still awaiting an answer, you haven't got the answer, or maybe you haven't got the answer that you're looking for, so there's a temptation to become cynical rather than hopeful. Maybe something to do with your own failures. I'm sure Peter had this struggle there was a lot of failures in his past, and he could have become cynical and think, you know what, I'm not even going to try to serve Jesus anymore because I've messed up in the past, and he loses hope, and he moves from hope to cynical. And for those of you who are 40 and under, can I separate by age? Am I allowed to do that? Probably shouldn't ask for a raise of hands. I can say that because I just turned 40 a few weeks ago, and so I can go either way, right? I'm kind of on the fence still. Like, if you're younger, I think it's important to, to, to find out what this life of daily hope in Jesus means because when you're young, a lot of times you kind of have days where you have good days and bad days. You have days where you're hopeful, days where you're cynical. Uh, but as you get older, you just kind of fall on one side of the fence. And when you become older, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, you either become a hopeful person that's fun to be around or you just become the eternal pessimist that's cynical about everything. And so for those younger in the room, we've got to be very careful with how we internalize the hope of Jesus because it determines the type of person we become. So hope has a lot to do with eternity, but it has a lot to do with the quality of our lives and our friendships here and now. Uh, living hope. Peter says that because Jesus rose from the dead, that we have a living hope, not just a hope, a hope that is alive, if your hope is tethered to Jesus. So I've got a three things this morning that I think it means, and we'll look through uh, some more here in First Peter. Uh, what, what does he mean, and what are the implications for us that if, we, if we have true living hope? Because what I'm not asking us to do is to put our hope in those situations that feel hopeless, right? If you feel like there's something hopeless about your marriage, I'm not asking you to put your hope in your spouse. Uh, if you feel like that about your job or your children, I'm not asking you to put your hope in those things, but to put your hope in the God that is above those things. I'm not asking you to put your hope in the government. Maybe over these last uh, many months or years, you have become a, a little hopeless about the government. Anyone? Maybe you say, like, I just don't know if they have our best interest in mind. I just am not sure that they're actually working for us. I'm not asking you to put your faith in the government. I'm asking you to put your faith in Jesus who rose from the dead and is over all these things. So what does it mean for us to have living hope? Number one, this is, comes from verse 4, our hope, and this is like eternal hope, truly, like when, when our body gives up and our breath, we, we breathe our last, our hope is in God's power and not ours. Okay, Our hope for, for, for eternity with Jesus for heaven is in God's power and not ours. Read it with me, verse 4. He says, we have been uh, called to this living hope through Jesus who rose from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, 
and unfading. That describes the inheritance that Christians have. And it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Aren't you glad that your inheritance is being kept by God's power and not your power? Aren't you glad that your place in heaven is not secured by how well you nail it this week? Like some of us, if we put our hope, and we don't do this overtly, we do this covertly, we kind of uh, put our hope in how we perform uh, spiritually and how we perform with things, and so that's just kind of leads to despair. And so this, this living hope we have is that our place in heaven with Jesus forever is kept by God, not by us. That relieves a lot of pressure where you then, you get to live your life with joy and gratitude. Because our hope is in God's power and not ours. So hope in Jesus, it's the, it's the antidote to hopelessness and it's the antidote to cynicism. We have a living hope that what we have and this promise that we've been given, this inheritance is kept by God's power. We're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What this means is that God won't give up on you. You might give up on you. Others might give up on you. God won't give up on you. He's committed to keeping his promise. And I think Peter understood that. Peter understood that Jesus, as as much as maybe he could have, he never gave up on Peter. And so Peter never lived a hopeless life because his hope was in Jesus. Jesus won't give up on you. If you're his, he is devoted to seeing you all the way home. But hope is not just what happens to us in eternity. Hope has to do with what happens to us now. Number two, something I think we need to understand. Because our our, our living hope is in Jesus Christ who is alive, we don't give up doing good. We don't give up doing good. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, 9. He says, so let us not grow weary in doing good. And really that means to lose hope that it changes anything, to be tired, to be exhausted by by doing this over and over. And if you lose hope, and this is what I've seen, even in this church, uh, those who quit doing good normally quit hoping that it makes a difference first. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So maybe you had a season where you were doing good, you were full of good works, you were trying to help and serve people uh, in the church, uh, in your neighborhood, at your job, and over time you've become cynical and you've lost hope. Uh, the, 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 The message of the gospel is that Jesus brings hope into every situation, and so don't give up. I, just, I, I feel that somebody in your life over this Christmas season needs some good works from you. I, I, don't, I don't know who it is. Maybe you do. Maybe the Holy Spirit will bring that person to mind or bring their face uh, in, into your mind. Um, because when Jesus is preaching his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, uh, he talks about Christians having lives that are marked by good works. He says, the world needs to see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So good works, they don't make a Christian, right? Y'all with me? They don't make somebody a Christian, but they mark someone that's a Christian. And oftentimes we don't do good works because we've become cynical and we've lost hope. And I just want to encourage you, because we believe in living hope, your good works always matter. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good because in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. And number three, 
He talks about this in verse 6 and 7. Your suffering or affliction or whatever negative situation that you might find yourself in this Christmas season, it's not hopeless. One of the most horrible things that can happen is for someone to endure suffering if that suffering has zero purpose. That's the most hopeless situation I could imagine, to endure something that does nothing to benefit you. And if you're in Christ, you have been promised that everything that you go through is for your good and for your benefit, and there is no such thing as hopeless suffering for the believer. Listen to how Peter phrases it. In this you rejoice, talking about the inheritance that we have. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So does Peter believe that the promise and goodness of God can coexist with present trials? Absolutely. They are not at odds with one another. In fact, they are guaranteed to walk together. Jesus said it. Paul said it. All the the New Testament claims that if you follow Jesus, you will walk through some type of suffering or trials or difficulties or persecution, but it will never be hopeless. I think Peter believed this with all of his heart. So when he suffered, when he was alone in prison, when people abandoned him, he never lost hope because he believed that God will never waste a hurt. God will never waste suffering. And so I know the story of many people, even in this room this morning, you're walking through difficult things, you're suffering, or you're facing, you're grieved by various trials, and there is a temptation to give up hope, to think that God's lost control, He doesn't know what He's doing. And Peter says, no, if you have a living hope, then your suffering is not hopeless. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while... You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we use Jesus himself as the example, Jesus suffered, did he not? Didn't Jesus have some intense moments where he was tested, he was abandoned by friends that should have been there for him, he was rejected by people that should have accepted him, he was crucified wrongly, and he endured that suffering because of hope, because he knew that God was using it to serve a purpose, namely our salvation. And Peter was convinced that there's no such thing as hopeless suffering for the Christian, and so sometimes we have, we have good theology and we understand things about God, but then uh, we have a hard time, if you're like me, you have a hard time connecting that uh, when things actually hit your life. And so I want to close on a story that I think is just, uh, it's very timely and powerful. Uh, some of y'all have heard me talk over the years of a pastor in New York uh, named Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor of Redeemer Church there. I joke that that's a j- church that we planted a few years ago, uh, part of the Redeemer Network, although that is a dirty lie. Uh, I have been uh, impacted greatly by Pastor Keller over the years. Uh, I think he's 70, maybe 71 years old, uh, and it's just an unbelievably God-given gift that he has to connect a 
just a good, pure gospel to, I mean, right at home where people uh, need to understand it. And uh, he's been doing ministry for almost 50 years, I believe. 1975, I believe, is when he was uh, ordained. And he has spent his life encouraging others to put their hope in Jesus. That's what his life has been about. So much so that as he got older, and I think this is just a natural thing that happens, the older you get, the more you think about death. And so he's 70, and so he wrote a book called On Death, uh, trying to encourage folks, especially those that are getting older, to put their hope in Jesus. And one month after he publishes this book, uh, he finds out that he has stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And so he did what you should not do, is he WebMD'd this. Uh, he, he got online, literally, and began Googling what is the life expectancy of someone with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And, uh, and, and he begins feeling this sense of hopelessness as he sees that it's just, it's not good. And, and he said, this was an article that he, uh, he published in The Atlantic not too long ago, and I saw it yesterday. He said, as he was struggling with this hope to his own death, uh, the book that he had just written about hope was on his coffee table, and so he picked up and he said this word, uh, said this sentence. He said, I have spent my lifetime counseling others before my diagnosis. Will I be able to take my own advice? And he, he talks very honestly about uh, that he understood enough to write a book about what it means to have hope in Christ, but then when this situation hit him, he needed to find a way to bring that out of the heavens and put it into his heart if it was actually going to affect the way he lives the last days or weeks or months that he has. And so I want to read to you a few things that he wrote in this article that I think on, on some level, one level or another, we all need to understand and, and, and really to, to take the theology that we have about hope in Christ and find a way to believe it and to live in it every day. He says this. He says, but as death, the last enemy, became real to my heart, I realized that my beliefs would have to become just as real to my heart or I wouldn't be able to get through the day. Theoretical ideas about God's love and the future resurrection, they had to become life-gripping truths or be discarded as useless. And then over time, as he walked through and processed uh, the challenge that he's facing, he says, most particularly for me as a Christian, Jesus' costly love and death and resurrection had become not just something I believed and filed away, but a hope that sustained me all day. And he says, I pray this prayer daily. Here's his prayer. He says, and as I lay down in sleep and I rose this morning only by your grace, keep me in the joyful, lively remembrance that whatever happens... I will someday know my final rising because Jesus Christ laid down in death for me and rose for my justification. That's what it means for someone day in and day out to truly embrace living hope, to focus on the resurrection and the implication of the resurrections, not just as a lofty theological idea, but as something that affects every situation that we walk through. And then I'll throw this last one on the screen. I thought this, if I, I could have just asked uh, Pastor Keller to just create a, uh, an article that would be helpful for us to look at on Hope uh, Advent Sunday, then this was just perfect. He didn't do that for me, but I'll take it as he did. 
He says this, if you're walking through any type of suffering, and this is the exclamation point on the idea that your suffering in Christ is not hopeless. He says he, talking about God, has plenty of good reasons for everything he does. And some of you, you're tempted or you're struggling to believe that. And the only advice I can give you is to take God at his word. He has promised he has promised that all things will work together for those that love him, that there is no suffering that is hopeless. He says, God has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know, and therein is my hope. Peter was the apostle of hope because his hope was tethered to Jesus, and Jesus rose from the dead. So if your hope is in Christ, you're never hopeless you have a living hope that will see you all the way through to eternity and could potentially change uh, the way you live your life in suffering and difficulty today. I want to invite you to bow your head, uh, to close your eyes, and let's pray that this very true theology would find a place that matters in our daily lives and hearts. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you. Jesus, um, we understand that even the idea and the word hope in the Bible is very different than in our culture. It's not wishful thinking about something that we hope might happen in that sense, but it is a concrete belief that it is something in the future that is coming. Father, I pray that you would fill our people in this room and those joining online with the true hope of Christ. God, eternal hope that they'll be with you forever. God, if there's anybody that's hopeless in this regard, I pray that you would uh, cause them to be born again, invite them to confess their need for you and to put their faith in you and to place their eternal hope in you and then you will keep them secure, you will guard them, you will take care of them and you will bring them all the way home. And Father, for those uh, truly struggling with things in their life this morning and with seasons of difficulty and various trials, God, I pray that they would not lose hope. That even in those seasons that their hope would be alive just as much as Jesus is alive. God, we love you. We need hope to live. We need hope to thrive. So thank you for bringing us living hope through Christ who rose from the dead. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we need you. And all of God's people this morning said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.